Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I hope you're sitting down. You may need to lay down for this one. An Oklahoma high school cheerleading coach busted for having sex with her daughter's underage boyfriend, also a student. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thanks for being with us here at Fox Nation and Sirius XM 111. You know, this morning I drove the twins to school in the minivan. The last thing to cross my mind would have been, will the twins track coach or uh, weight coach, you know, the body con thing, try to have sex with the twins? I didn't even have those words in my mouth. I want to spit them out. Who would even think that? Again, thanks for being with us here at Fox Nation and Series XM 111. You know what? I don't even want to say it. I will let our friends at KOKO say it. Listen. The victim says Hawkins first sexually assaulted him while they were watching a soccer game at her home. The victim said it eventually turned into Hawkins picking him up during his lunch break, taking him to her home, and then they would have sex. Now, we got a statement from more public schools earlier this year when she was relieved from her duties. They said they learned of an allegation of inappropriate contact between an outside athletic coach and a student that occurred in the past. They said that they immediately contacted Oklahoma City Police. A report was filed, and that's when they told us the coach was immediately released from their duties. Released from their duties? Some people would call for a proper tar and feathering. Oklahoma cheerleading coach busted having sex with her daughter's underage boyfriend, also a student. That's the last thing I want to hear about a school coach having sex with a student, much less her daughter's teen boyfriend to just to put the icing on the poisonous cake. I mean, there's just, this is so wrong on so many different levels. And uh, first of all, I've got an all-star panel to, to make sense of this, but to Fran Longwell, Former Deputy State's Attorney in Calvert County, former Assistant State's Attorney Prince George County, specializing in sex offenses and homicides. Fran, first of all, let's don't call it having sex because it's not having sex. If you're under a certain age, then that is statutory rape, period. Because, Fran, maybe you can explain it better than me, but... um, better than I can. But minors, they can't go buy a car. They cannot buy alcohol or cigarettes at the corner store because they are underage. They don't have, under the law, mental capacity to enter into contracts. But I can tell you this, my son and daughter, I think, are have better manners and are smarter than a lot of people that went to law school with me. So I'm not saying they don't have intellect. I'm saying the law says they don't have the intellect or capacity to enter into a contract. So if I can't go buy a pack of cigarettes or a a six pack of beer, I certainly cannot enter into a sex relationship with an adult, Fran. That's uh, that's exactly true. Nancy in Maryland, um, 16 is the age of majority for sexual offenses. 
Um, and this, this young man was 16 when she started. However, I believe the school has a policy, that, which they should, that teachers cannot interact with students. So that's how they got her on it. Well, you sure are putting perfume on the pig to be a former prosecutor, interact with a student. I hardly think having full-out sex with a teen boy while you're watching soccer on TV is, what did you just say, interaction? Well, okay. <laughs> and then she would pick him up at school at lunch and take him back to her home and have sex with him. And and he says it's over 300 times. So it's, it's this is the most outrageous ones I've heard. You know what's concerning me now that you've put another nightmare in my head? Thank you very much, Fran Longwell, for doing that. Because at the twin school, when they get to, I think, the 10th grade, they can leave campus. They can walk off campus because there's some shops and restaurants like a McDonald's and a taco stand. And there's a bunch of food trucks that circle up not far from their school. They can walk off campus for that uh, whatever it is, 40-minute or 50-minute period, as long as they're back for their next class. Now I have to worry about this. Because, you know, l- let me go to Tom Ferguson, uh, reporter, Fox 25, KOKH, there in Oklahoma. I'd like to say, yeah, it's all Oklahoma. It all happens there. But, you know, I know from prosecuting for so many years, Tom Ferguson, it happens everywhere. But uh, Tom Ferguson just... Give me some of the facts. Who is this woman? Uh, Oklahoma cheerleading coach Jennifer Hawkins. Now, she has a daughter that was actually dating the victim. Nancy, that's correct. That's how Jennifer and the victim met. Okay, and- you know what, Tom Ferguson? I know you're used to just giving the news, but crime stories is not like that. And everybody else, why do I have to keep telling you guys this? This is not high tea at Windsor Castle with King Charles and Camilla. Jump in. Just what you just said, Tom Ferguson. Okay, say that one more time. Oh, of course. That's right. You know, um, they, according to court records, you know, the two met through the daughter, which is, that, you know, as you that's mentioned. It. Just that's that- it. That's it, Tom Ferguson. Uh, Fox 25 KOKH. Hold on, Tom, because I'll totally forget this thought. Scott Johnson with me, forensic psychologist specializing in addressing sex predators, uh, adjunct professor, Florida Gulf Coast University, and you can find him at forensicconsultation.org. Right there, Tom Ferguson is telling us that the way this cheerleading coach mom meets the boy victim is through her daughter. You know what? When my daughter and son and or son have friends over, I cannot even imagine looking at one of them in a sexual way. That's just, ugh. I just can't even... Think about that. They look like, to me, they look like children. Of course, my son is 6'5", if you didn't already know that. But his friends are not 6'5". Some of them are, to me, they all look like they're 12. And I just want to, like, hug them and give them a sandwich or something to eat. And, you know, if they uh, are outside, I mean, a nervous wreck, they're going to fall off the trampoline. I mean, that's how I think of them. What kind of mind looks at her daughter's boyfriend, who is a teen, and goes, wow, he's hot. I don't get it. Right. So she has a, at least some degree of sexual attraction, obviously, to adolescents that should have been a, 
directed toward adults, but she's also Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Just so you know, they're coming in my ear and going, quit making faces. I'm trying not to make faces, okay? But it's just, ugh. Okay, go ahead, Scott. Okay, so basically there's a sexual attraction to adolescents that should have, again, been a direct, a directed toward adults. But she's a predator in that she also takes advantage of the situation with her daughter to move in on the on the male, i.e. the, the daughter's boyfriend. Um, but that also speaks to psychopathic traits because she really just doesn't care about the ramifications back on her daughter or uh, on this boy or of getting caught with this. Do you remember, I guess, in grammar school, it started with me, where the teacher diagrams a sentence, and it was a straight line and all these offshoots with the subject and the verb and the adjective and blah, blah, blah. I had to just do that for everything you just said, Scott Johnson. I'm just a trial lawyer. Could you please dumb me down? I can't even take the notes fast enough. Okay. Attracted to adolescence. My first question is, isn't there a name for that? Not pedophilia, but... Someone attracted to, what was the name? It's ebophilia, E-P-H-E-B-O-P-H-I-L-L-A. E what? E what? Let's call it, no, I can't even say it, ebophilia. Ebophilia. Eva. Eva, and that is attraction to an adolescent? Yes, well, at least a primary sexual attraction to adolescents. Because most of us still have some attraction to adolescents because they resemble adults. Actually, I must be like completely numb by the time I take care of two guinea pigs, one cat, one dog, two twins. Again, one that's six, five and hungry. A 91 year old mom and my husband. The last thing that would cross my mind is any sex attraction to uh, an adolescent evophilia? No, I don't think I even have a tiny bit of that. Oh, okay. Jackie's spelling it for me. You know, I know you had to Google that. Don't act like you. Okay, she's admitting you did not know that. E P H E B, as in brother. Ophelia. F Ephophilia. Okay, right. Ephophilia. Got yeah, it. Ephophilia. Uh, so there is a name for specifically that. I always think of. Uh, pedophile or pedophilia, but I had a feeling there might be something specifically when you have an attraction to an adolescent. Then you said she's a predator. Then you said that she had was not concerned at all about the ramifications of her own daughter. You know, uh, we got invited to go have dinner with the twins middle school principal who has started her own school. And the first thing I thought, well, what are the twins going to eat when I'm out to dinner? Uh, so, but in this case... She is not thinking, what is this going to do to my daughter? Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. Back to Tom Ferguson, Fox 25, KOKH. Let's try it again. Some jerk interrupted you and went off on a tangent oh it was me sorry go ahead tom ferguson no yeah well what's really crazy about the situation i think is the only reason this was illegal was because the student and the coach were in the same school district you know the age of consent oklahoma being 16 if the suspect here had been a coach at oklahoma city public schools for example you know this would have been perfectly fine under the law and you know that's where the prosecution is focusing their case on is when he was a student in the district, he 
left the district in 2019, but the relationship continued until 2022. But, you know, the case ends in 2019 when he left the district. Anna Sonoda, child grooming expert, clinical social worker, author of Duck, Duck, Groom. That's a good title. Duck, Duck, Groom, Understanding How a Child Becomes a Target. And you can find her at AnnaSonoda.com. Anna, uh, Tom Ferguson is a very well-respected investigative reporter. He's at a great uh, station, KOKH, Oklahoma. But everything he just said is BS. Now, that's a technical legal term. A lot of you may not know what that means in the Latin uh, aspect. But Tom Ferguson, sadly, is reporting the truth. The fact that he's a teen, age 16, and she's a 45-year-old cheerleading coach uh, gunning for her daughter's underage boyfriend, that's not the problem, because to me, that's the problem. He's saying, and he's right, by the way, that in his jurisdiction, the problem under the law is she works for the school district and he's a student. Help me, please. Absolutely, Nancy. So... One of the components that I think we need to get back to is not why these people do it, but how they do it. Because if we're going to get our kids protected and keep our communities and our schools safe, we need to know how grooming works, what it looks like, how to observe it, and how to stop it. Because all along the way in this case, there were examples of how intentional, incremental, and observable this was. Lunch dates? He was taken off campus. Aren't there cameras on campuses nowadays? Nobody saw that pattern. Um, The idea that when we're looking at child sex abuse, 82% of the time it happens in the home of the victim or the home of the predator. She was consistently removing him from peers and taking him off campus in order to get that hands-on access. Wow. You're super smart. You know that. Anna Sonoda joining me, child grooming expert, author of Duck, Duck, Groom, Understanding How a Child Becomes a Target. She's at AnnaSonoda.com. You threw out a stat, and I want to remember that. 82% of the time that a child sex attack occurs, it's within one of the homes? Yes, ma'am. It's either in the home of the victim or the home of the predator. So we have examples all throughout this case of how the first incident occurred at her home, and then repetitively, she's taking him off campus. These weren't observed hands-on incidents at school. These were events that were happening because she had access and she had available space, the two key ingredients to successful child abuse. If somebody had just been paying attention to this pattern of behavior of removing him from campus with the same person getting into his vehicle and asking aloud, questioning that pattern, we could have saved this boy. I'm trying to take in everything that Anna Sonoda has just said. Hey, Dan Scott with me, former L.A. County Sheriff Sergeant, and there's never a lack of business in L.A. 26 years with Special Victims Bureau specializing in child abuse. Dan Scott, I'm going to get to more of what happened here, but you, like me, I think have seen a lot of male pedophiles, a lot of male sex offenders, a lot out the yin-yang, but you don't always typically see a female sex offender. Exactly. It's more than 10 to 1. But I have had cases just like this. 
with a female perpetrator embedded in the school. Uh, most of the time they're married and they put on an air of a normal, you know, um, fit in with the group. As Anna said, somebody saw this, I guarantee they did. Many other teachers or staff members saw her sneaking off campus, saw her picking him up around the corner, whatever her routine was, and they kept their mouth closed. If it was a male teacher... Yeah, I I was just going to say, Dan, that since it's a female predator, they may have actually seen it and not thought anything of it. And even if they did think something and they were suspicious, they're less apt to speak up. With a male suspect, we're more... Uh, tuned into them being predators, so they'll report it. Because they are more often predators, like 10 times over. And Jackie here is pointing out that also some people that are familiar with the boy know that he's dating her daughter and would think, you know, nothing of it, that, you know, they know each other. Like if I'm in the car with one of my son's friends, probably nobody would think a thing of it. Um, Hold on. I'm just thinking through what you just said. Oh, yeah. Thank goodness we have a shrink uh, because there's the child abuse angle, but there is also the the aspect of doing that to your daughter. Anyway, guys, take a listen now to our friends at KFOR. Jennifer Hawkins was a Moore Public Schools cheer coach for several years. In that time, she allegedly had sex with a Southmore sophomore. That former student saying they had sex more than 300 times at her home. He didn't have a normal school experience because she was able to exercise that control over him. 45-year-old Jennifer Hawkins, who once coached cheer at Westmore High and Brinks Junior High, was arrested Wednesday on charges of sexual battery and second-degree rape. You know, I'm thinking back when, when that reporter said a normal school experience. Uh, let me circle back to Tom Ferguson joining us from Fox 25 KOKH. I look back on high school, and I specifically remember working alone after school with my Spanish teacher, Senor Perez, and I mean, it would never have crossed anybody's mind that he could have been a sex predator. Of course, he was not. He was wonderful. And uh, then with my female teacher, often working, uh, my French teacher, Madame Weber, I just, it's hard for me to take this in. Can you tell me, Tom Ferguson, about the other layer of this? Three hundred times full out sex with a student and neither the daughter noticed or anyone else. How did that happen, Tom? Right. I mean, I think we're all kind of asking that question right now. And, you know, I think, you know, part of this that we have touched on here that's also really important is, you know, the victim told police that Hawkins was controlling and manipulative. And, you know, it's you know, difficult to imagine the situation that must have been going through his mind when almost every day during his sophomore and junior years of high school, this coach was picking him up from lunch and going to her home to, you know, allegedly you know, have sex. I mean, that must have just been just such a difficult situation to deal with. And especially with the, you know, the power dynamic at play with a much older coach in the district, you know, I mean, it's, 
it's hard to wrap your head around. I mean, what were the school rules about leaving campus? Um, you know, we haven't got much from the school on that. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a good follow-up question, but I think that's another angle, you know, to investigate here is, you know, more public schools, will y'all be changing policies, you know, based on this situation? Well, they certainly need to consider it. And I want you to get a glimpse into this female predator's frame of mind. Take a listen to Kelly Olivas. While sitting in Hawkins' living room and watching a soccer game, she allegedly performed a sexual act on him, telling him, quote, he would remember that soccer match for the rest of his life. The relationship continued after that. The two meeting during school lunch almost every day to have sex. This victim came forward after he was finally able to move away from this individual and realize that what had gone on was wrong. More public schools confirmed Hawkins has not worked for the district since the end of January. The Cleveland County District Attorney's Office is hoping there are no other victims, but... It wouldn't be uncommon. It wouldn't be uncommon. And she said that very calmly. Yeah, that happens. I'm still flabbergasted that this is not a crime in the sense that uh, it's sex with a teen boy. But what Fran Longwell is telling me, again, Fran Longwell, the way they're approaching it in Oklahoma is that it's against the law to have sex relations of any type if you are working in the school system. Right. And if it's a student, that's the way their law is reading. Back to her frame of mind. And I want to go to Anna Sonoda on this as well as Scott Johnson. Anna, so the first time that this crime was committed on this teen boy, the perp says, well, that's a soccer match. You'll remember the rest of your life. She's making light of this. She's making a snide remark. She's acting like it's acceptable and okay. Absolutely. And one of the things about grooming that's a hallmark is that it's intentional. It's incremental and it's observable. There's a reason that she was at her own private home during that game and that she used that time where nobody else was looking in order to attempt her first um, hands-on incident. I'll also say that the perverse courtship that is grooming in order to gain that access and space had to have been put down before the soccer game at her home. He felt comfortable enough to go to her home. He was not concerned about any predation at that time. But we have a very distorted perception of female predators in this country with male victims. It seems as if it's more of a rite of passage and not predation, which it is. And we know that female predators are underreported, underarrested, and underconvicted. So in this case, we have an opportunity in Oklahoma to highlight the perverse courtship that is grooming and how all along the way that boy was isolated from his peers and that she actually made herself more of a peer to him rather than being the adult that we all expected her to be. Scott Johnson, a forensic psychologist joining us out of Minnesota and professor. Scott, what do you make of this woman, Jennifer Hawkins, in her 40s, old enough to know better, kind of making a sex joke? Wow, I guess that's a soccer game you'll never forget. I just want just na- to just twist her little head off. What I really see her as, you know, if you think about typologies of sex offenders, is I would call her a seductor child molester. Now, forget the fact that you he's over You do know 12, I'm trying to write still... notes right now, right? Okay, so you don't have to go at 90 MPH. Seductor <laughs> okay. child molester. Okay, go ahead. Right, and so even though he's 
um, in his teens, not under 12. I'd still call him that typology because she believed it was normal and an okay thing to do. And as Anna pointed out, you know, he, she's normalizing the contact between them. And, and very specifically in the police report, I noted that uh, she was downplaying how what others thought about it, which meant she didn't care that others knew about it, but she was countering how others uh, opinions might play by saying it's just no big deal. Sometimes people just don't like what we do, but what we do is okay. So in her mind, it was okay to have sex with a minor. She's a sexual predator. She's no dangerous, in my professional opinion, than a male. We, you know, we, we, we keep downplaying the seriousness of the female offender when in fact the uh, uh, impact on the victim is the same. And so, um, or maybe worse, because people don't really want to believe him that it was traumatizing when in fact it was. So she really just has psychopathic traits. She does what she does. She doesn't care about the outcome on her daughter, on the victim, or how even her peers are going to look at this. And the other side of this, which I heard people comment on is, you know, um, you know, we know better when we're in a teaching profession than to engage in a sexual relationship with our students regardless of the law there's ethics and so she made a very predatory deliberate decision and continued it out over several years to engage in sexual abuse rape etc of this young man what exactly is a as you describe the typology a seductor child molester a seductor believes number one it's appropriate to be sexual with children it's our it's our obligation to help children as freud might have said sexually actualize and so they actually bond with their victims they try not to cause any physical harm because they're constantly grooming and introducing different sex acts over time so as not to create significant fear or anxiety in the victim which typically by the way in my opinion usually it takes five to eight years for a victim to come forward because of all the manipulation that's happened and in this case it was a little over five years and so it takes that long for a victim to start sorting out this was really wrong speaking of manipulation take a listen to k-o-k-h according to court records hawkins would take the victim to her home in oklahoma city the victim reported hawkins was quote manipulative and controlling and that the two had sex over 300 times there's been a lot of a th- impact on this victim in particular because of the nature of this relationship, because it was so controlling and his high school, his entire high school time frame where he should have been a student and should have been enjoying being a student was in a relationship with her where she limited his friends and his interactions with others. Tom Ferguson joining us from KOKH. Where would the daughter be, her teen daughter? when all of this is happening. Well, Nancy, just thinking about just the dynamics at play here and how this impacted both Hawkins' family, but also the victim's family, I know just must have been incredibly difficult for everyone involved to just be like seeing and be aware of. But did, I guess this was happening, the sex attacks were happening mostly during the day at the lunch break. So the daughter would presumably be at school. Right, right. And, um, you know, and that was certainly the case at the beginning. And then, you know, moving in afterwards, you know, after, you know, he had left the district and everything, just, it must have been, I, I imagine, weird for the daughter, certainly. The pair meeting through Hawkins' daughter 
who the victim dated from an unspecified time for an unspecified time and knew from school. Okay, I can't even imagine what damage that would do to the daughter when she finds out her mother is sleeping with her teen boyfriend. Take a listen to this. Jennifer Austin explained that state law prohibits students and district employees from having sexual relationships, including when the student reaches the age of consent. At school, consent gets removed from the equation. A lot of the sexual acts that took place, she would have him come home for school from school at lunch to her home and have the sexual relationship at home while her her daughter and her um, her family were at, at work or at school. Tom Ferguson, how did the cheerleading coach respond when she was first confronted with accusations she had sex with a student, a teen boy? Right. Apparently, you know, um, in the police report, it says, you know, at first she denied this inappropriate relationship. And then you know, afterwards, she, you know, broke down and, you know, these authorities were asking her, you know, how many times did this happen? And, you know, she just repeated, like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, and so, you know, being confronted with this, I mean, I, I mean, it's, I don't even know, like, I can't imagine being in the room. Can you imagine, you know, going up to a chair and saying, hey, we have this information. Like, what do you say about this? It just must have been, you know, just a, quite the situation. Talking about what the daughter thinks. What about her husband? Take a listen to Our Cut 10 KWTV. Prosecutors charged 45-year-old Jennifer Hawkins with second-degree rape and sexual battery. The mother and wife was a longtime cheerleading coach at Westmore High School, Brink Middle School, and the University of Central Oklahoma. Police were notified in January of the alleged sexual misconduct between Hawkins and the victim. Police say the victim sent a detailed letter to more public school officials about his five-year-long sexual relationship with Hawkins. These documents say this was a years-long relationship between a former student and a district employee. Situations like this can have lasting impacts on victims. 45-year-old Jennifer Hawkins arrested and booked into the Cleveland County Detention Center. According to court documents, Hawkins was a cheer coach at Westmore High School in Brink Junior High. The victim, a now former Southmore student. Stories with Nancy Grace. Tom Ferguson, KOKH. Tom, uh, again, thank you so much for being with us because you really cracked this case wide open. What about her husband? What's become of him? I, I wish I had an answer to that, um, but I, I don't have any details on the husband. Um, I didn't even realize that she was married, honestly. You're kidding. So that seems like he was not part of this equation at all. Nobody even is thinking about the husband. I, yeah, I didn't even realize that. Um, yeah, I, I guess that must have been certainly difficult for him, though. I mean, yeah, I, I guess. Fran Longwell joining yeah. us, former deputy state's attorney. Uh, so often the spouse refuses to believe that anything untoward has happened. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that's, that is it. Um, there was, I don't know if you recall this case. There was a case in my, where uh, Jason Myers, he was 47, had sex with a 17-year-old victim three times. 
He was his, her creative writing teacher. He, he was married with a pregnant wife, three kids, and then he got sentenced to life in, in Florida, which he should have. But I, you know, I, I've seen it over and over where the spouses don't want to recognize, even in physical child abuse, they don't want to really accept the fact that that other partner is doing that to their child. You know, I'm trying to figure out the effect this would have on a marriage, on a family. Uh, to you, Scott Johnson, forensic psychologist joining us. What about it, Scott? Well, certainly it would likely erode and destroy the marriage. I mean, to have something so devastating happen, and perhaps the husband had no idea this was going on, um, but they may have had little inklings something was going on, but didn't quite know what to make of it. So the relationship between her and her daughter, her and her husband, et cetera, are done. I mean, how do you trust again, plus the shame that she brought on them that was just in, you know, just un, unexplainably unexpected. I mean, how they, you know, how to deal with that in a healthy way. I'm not even sure therapy helped, but, uh, you know, so she didn't care though. She had no concern about the impact on anyone. She was just more interested in having her sexual toy, if you will, i.e. the victim. It reminds me a great deal of Mary Letourneau. Do you recall her, the teacher, oh, started having yeah. uh, sex with, I guess he was 12 or 13 or 12, Billy. He was 12. He was 12. She was 34. And then uh, she went to jail and was let out on conditions, one being not to be around him. And the cops, of course, immediately bust her in the car at night, locked in with him having sex. I mean, it completely tore apart her family. And I don't mean just the spouse. But when you have children, what what do your children think the rest of their lives? Wow, mommy was having sex with a 12-year-old, and it ruined our marriage. Uh, I don't think there's any coming back in the marriage after that. And it brings to mind uh, a friend. I consider him a friend. Owen Lefebvre. You often hear her, the wife's name, Deborah Lefebvre. Take a listen to our friend Jesse Palmer at Daily Mail in our cut 13. Deborah Lefebvre, a Florida high school English teacher who had sex with her 14-year-old student. One year later, she pled guilty to two counts of lewd and lascivious behavior involving a minor. The public outcry was tremendous. 24 years old at the time, Lefebvre blamed her actions on being bipolar and hypersexualized, claiming she had been raped when she was a teen. Mental illnesses are real. They could cause good people to do bad things. Her attorney famously told the judge she was too pretty for prison. In the end, Lefebvre pled guilty to lewd and lascivious behavior. She was sentenced to just three years house arrest, but branded a sex offender. I remember Owen going through all of those phases of denial, rejecting the claim standing by his wife until finally he realized it had happened. He has moved on in his life now, but those scars must last forever and I imagine would shape any future relationship. And speaking of future relationships, Scott Johnson, what about this young boy's future relationships? Well, right. There's always going to be a dent in there now toward dating partners, uh, obviously toward females, because he realizes how he was manipulated and used. And more importantly, how that shame comes into play, because I'm sure he's partially blamed himself for letting it go on. And yet he wasn't in a position to stop it. 
no child or adolescent is. And so, you know, for him to start trusting people and to trust his own sense, that's going to take a little time. Guys, we can't even have this discussion without the mention of Deborah LaFave or Brittany Zamora. Take a listen to our friends at Inside Edition. Shocking new details are emerging about a sixth grade teacher accused of having sex with her 13-year-old student. Texts allegedly sent to the teen by elementary school teacher Brittany Zamora were just released by prosecutors. OMG, LOL, you're so cute, baby. I wish you could have stayed after with me, she wrote. He answered, me too. I wish we could just hang out together whenever we wanted. Ah, baby, I know what you mean. You're all I think about. You will be my wife one day in this crazy life. She wrote back, I'll give you whatever you want, baby. The 27-year-old teacher allegedly met the student for sex on four occasions and sent him nude selfies. That's four occasions. This woman, the cheerleading coach, Jennifer Hawkins, had sex with a minor within the same school at least 300 times. There's more on Zamora. Take a listen, our friends at KPNX. Shocking new details. Zamora rushes to talk to him. She started crying naturally and she said, you know, I don't know. Um, the only two things I care about in my life were, you know, my husband and my career. So did you, um, did you ever talk to any parents about the, the rumors? I, I didn't and I didn't, I didn't want to blow it up. A week after crying to her principal, Brittany Zamora would ask the boy to sneak out of his grandparents' home for sex acts. Because while Principal Dickey was looking into the matter, so were the boy's parents. And you hear her husband saying she started crying naturally. She said, all I care about in life are my husband and my career. Uh, that's after having sex with a student. You know, I, I want to find out what's happening now. Tom Ferguson, where does the case stand now against the cheerleading coach, Jennifer Hawkins? Nancy, she she's out on bond. You know, she posted that on March 8th and she has her preliminary hearing set for March 28th. So, you know, as a local reporter here in Oklahoma City, I'm going to be keeping on this case for sure. So, Tom Ferguson, what's the potential sentence? I mean, with second degree rape and sex battery? Nancy, it'd be one to 15 years in prison, plus, you know, registration as a sex offender for her if she's found guilty. Now, is she charged with two offenses, second degree rape and sex battery? That That is correct. Two counts. So they could run consecutively one after the other. We saw uh, Judge Newman in the Alex Murdoch case just sentence Alex Murdoch to two consecutive life sentences, one to run after the next. So right now she's out walking free. The damage done to this young boy, to her daughter, to the rest of her family, including her husband, that's a life sentence for them. We wait as justice unfolds. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend.